All right. Frank Strozier and his quintet with Cloudy and Cool. It's from his uh, album, 1960 album, uh, called Cool, Calm, and Collected. You know, like me. (laughs) That is so far from the truth. Strozier is on alto sax, Bill Lee on bass, Billy Wallace on piano, and Vernel Fournier on drums. This is Lead Stories. I'm Retrice Lead. Pleasure to be with you again today. And uh, we have some talking to do, but first I want to uh, let you know the sad news of the death of Malak Shabazz who is a daughter of uh, El-Hajj Malik al-Shabazz, that's Malcolm X, and Betty Shabazz, Dr. Betty Shabazz. She was found uh, unconscious in her Brooklyn home yesterday and later died. She was 56 years old. Uh, That family has gone through so much, so much sadness and sorrow and pain. Please keep them all in your hearts today and send good thoughts their way. They need it. Today is a day that we have uh, possible summations, of course, of going on in the Ahmad Arbery uh, trial, well, not his trial, but the trial about his death. And uh, that means that the jury will soon have to consider all that they've heard in rendering a decision. Which way are they going to go? What will they come up with as they deliver their decision? But before that, the prosecutor in the case will be talking once more. She'll be giving a final rebuttal, and that she expects, the expectation is that she will come down pretty hard on them. But You never can tell with a jury, and as we know with this jury, this is a very peculiar jury. Eleven of the twelve members chosen to sit on this jury are white. There's one lone black person on this jury, and that will, I think, play a prominent role That will be a major cause, I imagine, for uh, after the jury makes its decision, because it might be a point of contention whether this trial went on fairly. We could regard this as a fair trial. So uh, that's where things stand. But I wanted to find out from you, What do you think of this whole debacle that we've been through 
so far. What might be the sticking points here now with this uh, jury deliberation? What might become a focal point or focal points in discussing where this case goes from here? What would be the sticking points, you think? 888-874-4888 is the number to call. Just to remind you, uh, Ahmad Aubrey, 25 years old, a black man, a young man, uh, was seen, I like the way they said it, he was seen jogging. Oh, that's itself a crime, isn't it? Through a white neighborhood. And we have the three uh, defendants in this case who went after him. And so that's how the case started out. They went after him because, of course, first of all, black men are not jogging and they don't jog. In the case of Aubrey, it was considered he was running. He was running, probably running away from something. And he might have done something from which to run away. Uh, That was the thinking of these men as they came upon him. All he was doing was jogging. Uh, And they confronted him, and very aggressively so. They believed that he was suspicious. And, of course, they had to have a closer look, being uh, in charge of the community. They were part of a watch team, and therefore they considered themselves as having some kind of legal heft. And they decided to confront him and ask him, what is he doing there? As if, you know, you have to have a map. Uh, uh, This is still their thinking. You have to have permission to be in their neighborhood. Otherwise, if you are found to be in particular neighborhoods as a black person, you're up to no good. So that was their suspicion. He was up to no good. And they had to get a closer look at this young man. Uh, So three of them, a father and son, Gregory McMichael, the father, uh, retired. He was affiliated with law enforcement, but he was not himself a police officer. Uh, Travis McMichael, the son, 35 years old, and a neighbor and family friend, William Bryan, and in this uh, particular confrontation, William Bryan served as the videographer. He, you know, he went around with his camera phone and uh, developed a number of uh, of portraits to show that they were doing a good job 
and they had Ahmad Aubrey documented. All he, as I said, all he was doing was going for a jog. That's it. They chased him down in their trucks, penned him in so he couldn't escape. And then it was clear to Ahmad that this was no ordinary situation. And very possibly it could mean the end of his life. So he was desperately searching for a way out. He thought he would try just running some more. He didn't want to be involved with this at all. He thought he'd try. It didn't work, however. He couldn't get away from them. And the son, Travis McMichael, armed with a shotgun, uh, who now claims that he felt threatened by Ahmad, who was unarmed. He was just jogging. Uh, he let three shots out of that shotgun into the body of Ahmad, who fell to the ground and bled to death and died. They are up for on charges, including, I wrote them all down here, nine charges each. And they include malice murder, four counts of felony murder, two counts of aggravated assault, false imprisonment, criminal intent to commit false imprisonment, and those are the charges that they face in this trial. So we know one thing. We don't know what the jury has decided. The jury hasn't gotten the case yet, but this is being watched very closely for many, many reasons. Because we we got to see for a minute here that our you know people tend to think that things there's been so much progress made in this country that this couldn't possibly happen not not at this time not in this day and age but the trial reminds us yes yes it happens more often than we think. So I'm asking you today, as the trial goes toward an end, with these summations and the jury contemplating the charges against these men, what for you, in your own view, your own take on this case, what would you say were the major points that hit you really hard about this case. What came through to you as points that should be should be looked at but not forgotten? Not forgotten in this case. Why is this case important to you? 
what emerged from all of this as the most important things to keep in mind. 888-874-4888, of course, we await the jury like everybody else, the jury's decision, and that will be the basis of another uh, leg of discussion, but I'm curious to know, as this case heads toward the jury, so that the jury can make a judgment on against these three men, what for you, personally, uh, emerged in this case as exceedingly important to keep in mind and to remember and to not be deterred from believing. 888-874-4888. That's the number you call to get on the air. And I'm hoping by now this case has impacted you in a particular way. Of course, I don't know what way that might be, but it would be it would be interesting to see how this case occurring in Georgia, uh, in Brunswick, Georgia, how did this case affect you, wherever you are? What do you take away from this case as points that you will not soon forget? Gwen from New York, you start us off today. Hello, Gwen. Hi, Therese. Hi. Well, uh, you you got me hooked. So I've I've been watching court TV and trying to listen to the radio at the same time. So uh, I heard I heard the closing arguments this morning uh, by the prosecutor, and I actually thought she did a very good job. And I also heard the closing arguments yesterday of the uh, defense lawyer, and I thought that she did uh, actually. If you were if you were her client, I, I guess you thought she did a really good job, uh, but she the she also raised me. Uh, I, I couldn't believe she made a comment about the guy not wearing socks and having dirty toenails. I mean, it was like, are you kidding me? The guy is dead, and this is the best you can come up with. So I think um, that the prosecutor this morning brought a lot of clarification because I was very unclear yesterday when the defense attorney kept talking about there had actually been a burglary. There was no burglary. Uh, it's okay for him. You know, he went into an area uh, that was private property, but he didn't take anything. He didn't steal anything. So the most you could do with that is trespassing. I think that there was a lot of clarification for the jurors uh, by the defense attorney this morning. But, you know, that doesn't take away from the emotions of people. And since we saw that the Kyle, Ritten, the Kyle Rittenhouse case was written, it was basically... Uh, an emotional case. It was a case about prejudice, and uh, that kid just got off scot-free, murdering two and and hurting two other people very seriously. So I really don't know what's going to happen here. I wonder about the cases also being back-to-back to each other, you know, the timing of both of these cases. And uh, I think that if the jury uh, is, is prejudiced and emotional, that no matter what was done to prosecute these guys, they are going to walk away. And it's Georgia. And so 
And I also am stunned at the lack of, I don't know if you're going to see, if we'll see uh, any kind of reaction from the people who live all over the United States to this, because we didn't see any reaction to the Rittenhouse case, hardly any reaction. I think also, which has really been stunning to me, is watching this on court TV and how prejudiced the, um, the people after the, the, the commentators are so prejudiced themselves. I mean, they, they, uh, and now I'm talking about the Rittenhouse case, how they kept making up excuses for this guy and he was young and, you know, like he had his whole life ahead of him. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. So were the people that got killed. They were young, too. Uh, they haven't showed the parents of, of the dead children uh, very, very uh, little, but they showed the mother of, of Rittenhouse. So I, I do think they are showing a lot of uh, Arbery's mother, and she is very sympathetic. When you look at her, you really feel her pain. So I, I, it's a toss-up right now because I, I think if, if, if emotions and prejudice, if that's how people are going to rule, then, then no matter what they've done with this case, I don't think that they could have won. But I think if they listen to the prosecutor, I have to say, I think she did a really good job. I think she, she lined up those arguments with clarity. She hit the mark on all of them, and she showed you how each one of these laws was broken. So hopefully they'll do okay. I just worry about the judge because at the very end, after the defense, uh, excuse me, the prosecution told them about the charges and how to, you know, how these charges uh, lined up to this case, the judge then went on to say, well, you know, if you feel even an emotional way that, that this wasn't right, you know, you don't have to go for guilty. And I was really surprised at him because I thought he seemed relatively normal during this uh, trial. So I just hope that they do the right thing. But, you know, I, I, would, I really would have hoped they done, had done right in, in both the cases. I think that um, it's really frightening now because I think because of stare decisis, we have a new, uh, this, the Rittenhouse case brings things to a whole new uh, order here in the United States. Go ahead, carry a weapon at a rally, kill a couple people, no problem. Um, and I know that's not the case today, so I hope we'll talk about the Rittenhouse case tomorrow. Okay? Well, as you talk about the jury, does it come into focus for you, the composition of the jury and what effect yes. it might have? Yes. In what way? I don't, I, I don't think that one black person is going to be able to, You'd have to have a tremendous amount of, of fortitude and courage to go up against uh, 11 people that are white in the South. I just, you know, I mean, if, if whoever that 12th juror is who's black, I mean, if they can, if they can get the, summon the courage, and that's what they'd have to do. If, if the white people are going to rule uh, based on prejudice and this, and this one black juror, you know, decides to go ahead and buck them, I mean, he... he he or she has every right to be terrified, you know? And, and so I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to summon them that but summons that, that in themselves, you'd have to have a tremendous amount of courage and, and, and you can't ask this person to, you know, is it reasonable to ask them to endanger, endanger their own life? Because if this person, uh, you know, won't go along with the rest of the decision, you know, there's retribution. Don't think that they won't come to his house. Don't think they're not going. If this, if you know, if if um, if the rest of the jury votes that to acquit and he does not, I think that's uh, you're going to see a lot of rumbling on that side, on the side of prejudice. Hmm. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot for you're welcome. Have a good day. And starting us off. Keep watching you, Trees. 
<laughs> okay. That's good. That's I'm watching good. it. I'm, I'm giving you live feed, okay? <laughs> okay. I'll take it. Bye. Thanks. Ed from Queens. Ed from Queens, you're on the air. Good, good afternoon, Latrice. How you doing? Okay, Ed. How are you? Well, you know, you know my you know my signature me and the phones. Just here hanging. <laughs> hanging in by your thumbs hanging, too. Hanging in the new America. Um the things that stand out for me about this case specifically or from the from the jump, the conjecture with uh the prosecutors, the fact that some of them had to to actually uh accuse themselves from the proceedings because of their connection with these three men. The fact that as a man lay dying in the street, the police let these men go. They didn't even hold them. They let them go home. And uh, that says a lot. The, the delay in prosecution, the delay in arrest, the delay, the delay in the indictment. I know that the defense is trying for a jury nullification. Because if you go by the letter of the law, which a juror is supposed to do, they have no legal standing. They had no, they had no probable, uh, for want of a better word, cause to affect the citizen's arrest. And they had, and, and from that, from that one instance, everything, every action after that is totally illegal. From the vehicular assault with the truck to the cornering the man like a rat, in their own words. And, uh, I hear what Gwen is saying, but if that one juror stands up, I'll take time off and go down there and protect him. If that one juror stands up and makes his own jury, I'll take time off, go down to Georgia and protect. Because we should not be afraid at this at this time of twenty twenty one in this in this is a piece of garbage country and allow this to happen. By the letter of the law, these men were wrong. They have no justification for what they did and, 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 and race and everything else is playing a factor, but by the letter of the law they were wrong. And if this if this jury doesn't have the, the testicular fortitude to prosecute these men, it's a sad day for this country. Okay, so let me ask you, of all the things that you highlighted, what for you personally supersedes all others in terms of importance and significance in this case? That a black man can't go anywhere in America and not be afraid. That's what supersedes everything for me. That a black man can't go. I, 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 this is my country, and I, I feel I should have the right to go anywhere if I'm not doing anything wrong. If I'm not, if I'm not engaged in some nefarious activity, I should be able to go anywhere, running, walking, whatever. As long as I'm adhering to the laws of public decency and, 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 and public discourse, I shouldn't be afraid. Mm-hmm. That's what stands out for me. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Very, very, uh, I know this is very personal to you, too. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. Henry from Chicago, you're on the air. Hey, you trees, how's it going? Okay, Henry, how about you? How's it going? Uh, hanging in there. Um, Good. I guess for this I guess for this case personally, there's there's actually a lot of things that I take out of this case, uh, you know, outside of the racial aspect, uh, the vigilante aspect, 
the deputizing of white people. But some of the other things that I, I think have either not been touched on or have rarely been touched on is the issue of redlining and gentrification. Because you got to understand, you know, the core of the case, uh, Mr. Arbery was actually, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, he was actually jogging in the neighborhood that he lived in. Am I correct? Well, it was adjacent to each other. They're okay. very close yeah. to each other, these two communities. Okay. So, and then he went into uh, an abandoned uh, building to just look at it, uh, not to steal anything, as I guess they, they accused him of. Because it was they, a they, house under construction. Under construction, and he, yes. And, yeah, it was house was under construction. And he was not the only person who went into, very curious, to see what was going mm-hmm. on inside. And yeah. he saw it, and then he left. Yeah, because, you know, like for me, I'm assuming he might have been interested in maybe purchasing a house there. And just kind of, you know, seeing what, you know, what the, what the structure of the, the houses were. Um, but unfortunately, he ran into three men who had an agenda, uh, who basically, uh, you know, if you just look at the letter of the law, they broke every, they broke every code because for one, they're not police officers. They're not supposed to be pointing guns at anybody unless they, unless the person, uh, has a firearm themselves. And 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 then it's threatening to use it, but in a sense, like I said, when you're talking about living in certain spaces, um, you know, I, I you know, with uh, with Ed from Queens, uh, the last caller, you know, in a sense, you know, I agree with him, and I and I have to push back on on him uh, in regards to um, we should be able to live everywhere, anywhere we want to, because we're citizens, but. You know, for me, I always say that we're not really citizens of this country because we don't get treated like citizens of this country. Yes, we do deserve to walk and live everywhere, but that's not the reality that we live in. Even in our own neighborhoods, we're not safe. I mean, you know, technically we can't we can't live in, you know, our own neighborhoods. We can't live in white neighborhoods. We can't live in other neighborhoods. And this is the, you know, this is the life of a, of a black man. And, and I know this because I am one. <laughs> and, you know, we always have to, you know, make a distinction or be careful. Um, you know, as black men, we have to be careful on where we walk. I, I know that's kind of crazy, but, you know, we, we're targets out here. So in essence, we technically don't have neighborhoods or even communities at that more, uh, at that at that juncture you know we we basically kind of live in colonies and we're colonized so you know if 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 there's nobody to protect us uh yes we we're, we're basically you know victims of colonization uh here in the united states wow wow what should be in your view among the, the 
the most important takeaways from this case? Some of the most important takeaways of this case, um, I guess, you know, the sensationalization of it, uh, how much attention it has garnered nationally. But, you know, what's, what's, what's interesting uh, about that is uh, up, up north here, and I don't know how it is in New York, it seems like the Kyle Rittenhouse case got more attention than the Maud Arbery case. Um, not sure how it is in Georgia. Uh, I'm pretty sure in Georgia it's getting getting a lot of attention. Um, but you know, from what, and I think you had expressed this a couple of uh, weeks ago, that what we're seeing should be an open and shut case. But the you know the uh, the defense. And some people who would like to defend uh, these three murderers of Ahmaud Arbery would tell us that we shouldn't trust our lying eyes, quote-unquote. And that should not be the case. We saw on film what this, you know, what, what was presented and what the evidence came out. Ahmaud Arbery was unarmed. He didn't commit a crime. And he was jogging. That's facts, and that should not be a reason for that should not be a reason for him to be dead right now. Okay. Thanks, Henry, for your analysis today and sharing it with us. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia from New York. You're on the air. Hello, Patricia. Hello, you, Teresa, and greetings, and greetings to the PRN family. I hope all is well and you're taking care of yourself. I'm hanging in here. <laughs> Great, wonderful. Um, I am less concerned about the law in both of these cases, the Rittenhouse and the Aubrey case, because clearly if the law worked, um, Kyle Rittenhouse would be behind bars today. I, the message that that verdict sent was that there's no black person in America, no man, no woman, no child, who is safe anywhere in this country. And if you are a white ally, the clear message to white allies is you are at risk also. And I think the irony is, is that this is about codifying white minority rule. And the irony is that you know, back we in, in this country, you know, we engaged in activities to eliminate white minority rule in South Africa. And guess what? Three decades later, we're being faced with it here. And it is clear that it is probably going to survive both of these cases. So, you know, I'm, I am less concerned about the law because if the law worked, we wouldn't be having these conversations. These verdicts are going to codify white minority rule. And unless we decide that we are, when I say the we, I'm talking about communities of color. Unless we decide that we're going to stop talking and analyzing about what we, what we are experiencing, then I don't, I, I think our position will, will, will resemble what existed in South Africa in the days of apartheid. 
could you isolate a single factor that more than any others that you have observed in the course of this case uh, had a, a deeper impact than others? I'm going to I'm going to have to confess I did not follow I have not followed the Arbery case I did not follow the Rittenhauer case because I was clear about number one the outcome and number two why the outcome so I, I'm sorry I did not follow I'm not following this case I didn't follow the other mm. how do you feel about that not following this case the Arbery case. Well, it, it's 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 sad because I'm not following it because I'm clear about what's going to transpire and why. So the question for me now is, um, what do I do? You know, you know, Adam Clayton Powell said, "Use what's in your hands," and what he was referring to was the power of the vote that black people don't use well, and the power, the 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 power of the purse that black people also don't use well. They don't use it at all. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're in a quandary. We, we, we are walking into white minority rule without any resistance, at least in South Africa. The children resisted, the adults resisted. In the U.S., nobody's resisting. And when I say resisting, I don't mean, um, I don't mean in terms of protests. Protests are great, but the question is, what do you do after the protests? The protests can't be the only strategy. There's got to be multi-strategies. And for me, the power of the purse has always been the most effective strategy. And it's clear that nobody wants to use that, that strategy. So we're literally walking, walking, literally walking without resistance into white minority rule. Hmm. That's kind of jarring. To hear you say that, because one would one would imagine that so much progress was made, especially in cultivating awareness, political awareness. But you're telling us a whole different story. That it is not what we think it is. We think people are aware now because we've been through so much. But it ain't necessarily so. I have I have this white friend who just happens to be um, of the Jewish faith, <laughs> and we talk about this quite often. And you know what he says? He says, "What's wrong with your people? Because in our community, we would never let things like this happen." Mm-hmm. And what he's saying is that uh, he doesn't understand why we are not resisting. Uh, and I can't, and I have no answer for that. Hmm. Well, we'll see how the reaction uh, is to what the reaction is to whatever comes up as the verdict in this case. Thank you very much, Patricia. You always give us something to think about, and today is no exception. Thank you so much. 888-874-4888. This case is particularly troublesome. It's particularly significant because I think we've gotten several hints already 
it brings us back to the story. Are black people safe in this country, especially black men? Is it something that we take for granted that we've achieved at least this much? So we have achieved a certain level of freedom and equality in this country. We do not expect that we have to protect our turf and watch where we go. And these are things that we overcame a long time ago. Why are they still happening? And with such brazenness, uh, people are assured nothing will happen to them. So there's something happening in the so-called criminal justice system as well that has elevated some people's understanding of what their rights are. And as, as, a, uh, as it relates to their ability to control their environment and the people in it. These are ordinary people. These are not extraordinary people. But look at the enormity of what they've done. Confident that they are well within their rights to do that, to do these things. And they are impervious to judgment. Brother David from Brooklyn, you're on the air. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Uh, you know, you asked about a takeaway message, and that sort of rang a bell with me. I think it's very important about what the real takeaway message is. And as I see it, the main t- t- uh, takeaway message is that uh, if you're a person of color, especially African American, or a phenotype black person, uh, you can be uh, controlled in terms of where you go. Uh, You're in a group that doesn't have the luxury of uh, being able to uh, take yourself to certain places without question. And... uh, I know myself that I have gone through that all my life, uh, being questioned on the basis of uh, them just seeing me there and wanting to uh, ask to explain myself, what am I doing there or what are you doing there? I, I can't remember how many times that was asked of me. So uh, the uh, murder of uh, Mr. Aubrey, uh, is uh, uh, a possible outcome in various ways that uh, you can wind up if there are certain people who do not uh, think you should be in that area. That, so that's the basic message. And uh, this is my experience as well as a number of people I've known, uh, African-Americans, uh, don't be in certain areas or if you're there, uh, there must be some explanation or, uh, uh, and you cannot be just assumed to be a regular citizen who has the luxury of motivating yourself wherever you want to go. And 
they are making that clear by uh, the confrontation in that case with him and with the millions of other people all over the United States of America. Thank you. Do you think many people will get this message, or the same as how you it resonated with you? Do you think you would uh, get a... Uh, I, I would say this. Um, it took me a long time to get this message. As I have said, I've lived in southern Georgia. And I came from New York to southern Georgia, and I didn't really understand the message. But I found out very quickly, uh, because uh, the uh, European phenotype people uh, uh, saw there was something wrong with me. They, they didn't physically attack me, but they tried to destroy me and get me out of town because I didn't understand fully all the protocols that uh, people like me are supposed to go by. You know, I didn't understand that you had to say yes, sir, to all white men until the sheriff told me. Uh, see, that's, I'm not making this up. And uh, other things that I did, I thought I'd just as another citizen that <laughs> I could do. And in South Georgia in the 50s, you couldn't do those things. So what I'm saying is the message is clear. Uh, uh, you are not a full-fledged citizen. You are uh, somewhat uh, different and somewhat restricted. And there are many, many examples of that. Me personally, members of my family, and other people I know. So uh, this is the clear message that everyone has to understand, this idea of uh, liberty and justice and freedom, uh, that does not apply to everyone. That applies to some people, and to others it does not apply. Thank you. Thank you. Stephen from New York, you're on the air. Hello, Stephen. Oh, you you? Yes, Hello? yes, you. Okay. Yes. Hi. Oh, yes, yeah, so I'm calling uh, in regards to the written house case. I, no, I we're think discussing, it was discussing not, Hello? We're not discussing the written house case. We're discussing okay, the case. I, I came on late. Sorry, I guess I missed the question. I just heard that lady was talking about it. Okay. So what are you guys talking about today? What uh, did you want to hear my thoughts about it or not? About, I'm sorry? Did you want to hear my thoughts about Rittenhouse or not? No, not not today. Okay, what's the topic to for today? today? We're talking about the jury soon uh, contemplating what the outcome is going to be in the Ahmad Aubrey murder case. With that case, from what I've seen, um, um, no, I think Alma, he was in, he's innocent. Like they should not have killed him. He, they're, they're, the guys are, they should be guilty for that. That was kind of provoked, in my view. For, for in my understanding, you know, you're just going about your regular life and 
they're chasing them down and stuff like that. So that, I think that they should get a guilty verdict on that one. Okay. Uh, I get the sense that you are occupied doing something else so that your attention at this time is divided. So it would be good if you can just find a way to consolidate your thoughts so that on both sides we can have a meaningful conversation and interaction. Okay, so this is going to be appearing on this program for a while because there are many things to talk about. And I hope to hear from you again. Thanks so much. Veronica from Brooklyn, you're on the air. Good day. How art thou? I'm okay. Oh, thanks. I was calling um, because I felt that the reason why that um, the reason why they would kill and assassinate two people would be to disrupt all of the successful protests because people were gathering together from around the world. And in order to scare them off, this is what will happen to you if you join forces. If it had not oh, been... Wait a minute. So Let's many... back up for a minute. Let's back up for a minute. Yes. Surely. Who was assassinated here, in your view? Uh, Mr. Orberry was killed. Uh, the fact that people from around the world were joining all these protests and so forth, not just on the street, but they started to do this at work, at different organizations and so forth. Now, in order to disrupt it, the people that felt that we were using every avenue of our human rights, not just civil or sold-out rights, the, the successes were to be, they felt that they would disrupt it, and that would be to show the world, well, guess what? If we harm these people, this will tell them we're going backwards, you know. And if we scare people from doing the right things, they will stop doing it. Now, our job is to continue to do the things that we were doing, or they win. And it's never over until we win. These men want to put fear into the hearts of everyone. That, that is how I see it. Uh, it, it. It falls back on many instances that we have witnessed uh, throughout. Uh, the system is working the way it was intended to work. And we have made our strides. And we have continued to work within what our successes have been. And in doing those things, that is the reason why things like the firecrackers came out for six weeks so people wouldn't sleep, 
so they would not protest, so they would not come to work, so they would not communicate. And we would be doing a disservice to all the people we love. It is in that vein we must continue in every successful avenue. As uh, my sister Patricia said, we have to use what's in our hands. We have to use um, not just, uh, we have to deal with these policies. We have to deal with every one of these policies. We have to do things that, uh, back to um, snail mail, we have to use every successful method because uh, everything we're doing is being monitored. They, they know when we eat, when we sleep, and we have to get these people that are, we choose our judges and so forth. We have to cut that. We have to cut this silver rights and make it human rights. Continue. Um, I also wanted to say that I am so grateful for your health, your show. I also want to send out my condolences to the Shabazz family, you know. And I thank you very much. I'm going to let another caller speak. Thank you very much, Veronica, for your call today and for making your statement. Thank you. Gail from Queens, you're on the air. Hi, Eutrice. Hello. Yes. I think the gist of um, the trial shows that a lot of whites still feel that black folks have no rights that whites are bound to respect. Who is that, Justice Taney? I think um, I agree with um, a lot that has been said already, that we are going backwards. Uh, you know, this I, I might interrupt you only because I could hardly hear you. Okay. I, is this better? Much better. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Black folks have no rights that white folks are bound to respect. I agree with a lot that has been, I think this is what a lot of white folks feel. And I think that um, we're going backwards and things are getting worse. And as one of the previous um, sisters um, remarked, that you have to do more than protest. It has to be hit them in the pockets. And I've been wondering why that has not been addressed. And I think that's about the only way that we are going to get any changes. Um, in addition to these laws, I'm very upset about, you know, um, a lot of things not being done, especially by the president, Biden. Okay. Thank you. I just wrote your, uh, you know, a, a short version of what you just said for my own notes, because we will be coming back to what is being said today, what people are thinking, and it will inform us in future discussions. So thank you very much, Gail, for calling in today and contributing. Thank you. Positive from Brooklyn, you're on the air. Good afternoon, Patrice. Good afternoon. I just, 
I just want to reiterate on what uh, uh, the brother, I, I believe his name is Ed from Queens, and yes. then the following caller that came behind him in regards to citizenship. Even though we are not treated as citizens, we don't feel we're treated as citizens, and historically, it can be justified. If you ever get in a situation, lawfully or whatever, you're going to be you're going to be charged as a citizen, not as a non-citizen. Even though I understand the context, he's coming from the other caller that followed and came from when he said we're not really treated as citizens because of what we this, that, and the third go through in America, and we're second class this, and this, that, and the third. Sometimes we have to. Sometimes we have we have to rise above that and above what they think. And as the saying says, some say, "As a man thinketh he is." It is not only as a man thinketh he is; it's what a man think he is. He is. And what I'm saying to say that I'm saying to you, but not so much of what they say you are. What do you say you are? If they say you second class citizen, you are you? Do you feel you're second class citizen? Then don't don't capitulate to what they say. What do you say you are? Because experience, uh, things that happen, you know, may cause you to waver. But you got to be steadfast in what you think you are, because that's how things going to be. What they are, according to what you say you are, not what they say you are. And I don't want to get that point out there. As far as what I walk away with from the case so far, it's not over with. And uh, historically, none of it really uh, amazes me. Uh, I don't know what the verdict is going to be. I mean, things are so tricky. They may make the verdict non-guilty, may make the verdict guilty, just to justify later on having uh, juries where their majority are white and uh, few of not any black on cases like this. You know, so you can say, well, you know, uh, according to last time, it was like that, and and they they did have a verdict, I mean, verdict, uh, I mean, a guilty verdict in spite of all that, you know, and you would, you know, you won't, you know, uh, ride against it or you know, speak against it or anything like that. So I don't know. I, I have no idea what it's going to be. You know, I'm still observing the whole picture. You know, as we had precedents, it took place prior to that. So I'm just looking at the whole thing. I just wanted to get that out there about. You know, we as a people, what we got to see ourselves in spite of what the government says, certain groups say, and so on and so forth. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that was a quick hour. It brings us to the end of that hour, however, but not to the end of our discussion. I want to thank you all for contributing so meaningfully today and look forward to continuing this conversation because it doesn't end here by any means. Thank you, and let's get together again tomorrow. Bye-bye.